I just want to take a moment real quick, and I'm going to ask a couple questions just so I can get a feel for who's here. My name's Pastor Eric. This is my wife, Mary. Um, we've been married for over 20 years and under 25 years. That's just because I sometimes I forget. I just play it safe that way. Yes? And uh, we've been in the ministry together um, pretty much from day one since uh, graduating from Bible school. We were in um, Southern Virginia. I mean Southern Virginia. And uh, we were there for two years. Then we were in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania for roughly 10 years. Then uh, Venice, Florida for 10 years. And then God called us back to the place that when I left 25 years ago that I said I would never come back to, God brought us back full circle to Northeast Ohio. And now I'm lead pastoring at Covenant Life in Hubbard. Uh, so I'm part of the Warren Youngstown section here in Ohio. Um, that's where we're at. My wife just, I mean, she does a little bit of everything. She helps with the children's ministry, helps with the uh, girls' ministry, and except mu- she doesn't do music. She worships, but I, I, um, that's, she doesn't play the piano. But anyways, it's a Bible college joke. So I just want to thank you for being here this morning. I just want to take a moment, and I'm going to ask this question. How many of you here right now, you are already in your church actively involved in Royal Rangers? Just let me see your hand. Now, hold your hand up. Keep it up. I'm going to call on you. Just give me your outpost number and your section that you're from, okay? Dayton? Dublin, Northeast, and I'm outpost 48, obviously in the uh, Warren Youngstown Hubbard area. Now, how many of you here are here this morning and you are a uh, lead pastor or an assistant pastor, youth pastor or children's pastor? Let me see your hands. All right. What church uh, are you from? Circleville. That's the pumpkin festival, right? Show. 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 Pumpkin show. Cornerstone South Bay Life Church, McConnellsville, Ohio. McConnellsville, all right. Brian, Ohio, Brian Okay. Cornerstone Church, Duncan Falls. Duncan Falls, where's that at? South of Zaneville. Okay. First Assembly, Lynnhurst. Lynnhurst. All right. Carrie, where's that at? Okay. All right. All right. Did I get everybody? Who's here today just because you want to learn how to increase your Wednesday night? And you saw that and said, huh, you got me. That's called a hook. All right. What I'm actually here to share with you, and I hope in the next several minutes, is just to inspire you something. What I have to offer you aren't books. What I have to offer you is not some kind of magic dust or potion. It's not the latest, greatest fad for the day or the week or the month or the year. But what I'm going to share with you is something that is near and dear to me. Um, It has been for almost all my life that I can remember but also an experience that my wife and I, as not just pastors, but parents, that we have been a part of that has made an extreme difference in our church. And the greatest thing about it is it's tried and proven. It's already there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And it will make the greatest difference in your church. But it takes one thing, commitment. It takes a commitment. So a real quick bio of us. We uh, my wife is from Erie. Obviously, I, I told you I'm from Warren. Um, we grew up 100 miles apart, but we went 820 miles away to meet at Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Um, by my senior year, my wife's junior year, um, I captured and won her heart. Actually, she was trying to woo me. Oh, well. But we... Uh, we met in uh, we met in Bible College. Um, I went to Virginia my first year. Uh, we were engaged. She finished up her um, senior year at Bible School. Um, she has a BA in uh, that's a Bachelor of Arts, not a bad attitude. She has a BA in in Bible and missions um, and a little bit of sec, um, 
teaching, uh, training with uh, teaching English as a second language that she took some extra classes there at CBC with. But we had a passion early on with youth ministry and we were involved in youth ministry. And that's where God called me in the youth ministry. We went to a small southern church in the town of Windsor, Virginia. And when we were there, we were out in the peanut and cotton fields. We would drive a half hour one way to go get gas. So we were out in the small towns. And over the time that we were there in Virginia, we just started investing into the kids and the youth that were there in the church. And over time, we saw that growth. We saw that change start to happen. Um, God called us along. We went to Pittsburgh, PA, uh, where we were ecstatic to be growing up in Northeast Ohio. I went to the dark side, and I grew up a Steelers fan. And um, we... uh, we were a part of a church that was growing. Uh, our youth ministry there um, in two years went from roughly eight kids, I think, when we first showed up there um, to running well over 100 kids. And there's no magic to it. It took commitment. When we left Pittsburgh, we went to a church in Venice, Florida for a simple reason as they were growing and it's the retirement capital of the world, but they were losing young adults and families and they wanted a, a ministry team in there that they didn't have to babysit and train from the beginning. So they brought us in and said, here we are, get it done. And it was probably the most challenging part of our ministry to date because it's difficult in a retired town to equip and train and recruit people for uh, ministering to young people. So starting down there in Florida, I'm going to pick up with that and let you, and share with you this. We were involved with um, uh, a church that was growing in the middle of a building process, but we weren't reaching our families. We were reaching the grandmas, the grandpas, the retirement community. We weren't reaching the families. We weren't bringing them in. We weren't connecting with them. We weren't keeping them. So we made an investment. And we probably spent the first year or two as our church was in transition from where we were meeting, we were told we're no longer going to have a lease for you. You're going to have to find somewhere else. We rented a church from another local church there and we would go set up our church at 1, 1 in the afternoon. And then we would have our church service and then we would be done around 4, 4.30. And during that time, it kind of sifted through those that were there for the show and those that were there because they were committed. We went from well over 200 people to under 100 people in probably six months because it, just, it wasn't convenient. But we made an investment in that small church uh, where we were renting while our new church was being built. And we made a commitment to a discipleship program called Royal Rangers and into girls ministry or missionettes. You'll hear me refer to that. Forgive me. It's just ingrained in me that they were missionettes when I was growing up. And in that ministry, we started to invest into the men in our church and into a small handful, and I mean maybe four or five boys that we had at the church. And we kept investing into that and investing into that. And we spent our time into raising men and, and, and taking them to um, training events and showing them the importance. And I'm, I'm giving you a real quick capsule of that. But what we saw happen in Florida, in a short time, we finally had our building built. We moved from renting that church in the afternoons back to more uh, a sense of normalcy if it does exist in the ministry. And we had our own building, our own plant that we were at. And in that span of two years, we saw our youth and children's ministry increase to over 100 young people. So much so to the point in our Wednesday night services which is the word most pastors will say, that's the discipleship kind of night. Sunday school is kind of fading out a little bit sometimes. And I'm not here to even teach on that or even speculate on it. But Wednesday nights are our main service night. That's where we try to really equip and disciple and train. So with that investment, and in a few short years, we saw the, the uh, Royal Rangers and our girls clubs grow so fast that we literally just moved into a 10,000 plus square foot um, church that the pastor stood up and said, we have, we, we have a need. We're out of space. Just because of Wednesday nights, they called upon some of the folks in our church that were influential. And in one Sunday morning, they stood up and took over almost a $200,000 offering. And they went next door to the church and built another 5,000 square foot youth center and classrooms for our rural rangers. 
And we watched this happen quickly once the momentum started to take place and people begin to realize what was happening. That became the church for people that don't go to church. They would bring their kids and drop them off. It was the only service, the only chance for many of them, the only fathers and mothers they would ever see that truly showed love to them. Okay? Now, we experienced that when we were in Florida. When we came to Covenant Life in Hubbard, by the way, the ministry is still growing down there. When we came to Hubbard, um, Hubbard had a traditional ranger service. It always had been involved with rural rangers and missionettes. And what happened in those services over time, as in most churches, it, it maybe kind of um, dwindled down a little bit. But when the church brought us in, they, the board interviewed us and asked me point blank, what are we going to do to grow the church? Well, what are you going to do, was, was the question. And I said, it's not me, it's what we are going to do to grow this church. And I explained to them, we're going to grow it through our young people and through our children's ministry. See, the church is one generation from being extinct. If we keep getting older and don't get younger, when everybody passes away or moves on to their reward, the church is gone. And we can't afford that. We have to take the time. We have to invest. And the greatest tool is discipleship. And the greatest discipleship tools those are those tools that are already in place that encourage and bring young men and young women in and show them not just the Bible, but life and life practical skills. So we really started to pour in and made time and made investments and made commitment. I, everything else, pretty much, it was my first lead pastorate. And it was kind of neat and kind of scary. But I basically told the board, anything else that doesn't involve our youth and children's ministries in these programs needs to take a break. We're going to start simple, start small, and we're going to make one investment at a time. Our mission was to love, serve, and build. If anything did not fit that mission statement, it just was put on pause for that moment. Now we are able to see at our church, in it was three years in February that we were brought in there. We looked at a Wednesday night service that we averaged eight people. Now six of us was our family alone, okay? And now on a, on a Wednesday night, we, we run 75 to 80 people on a Wednesday night. Can I tell you that three quarters of that are our young people that I'm about to talk about right now through Rural Rangers and Girls Ministries Clubs? are the secret to what we had watched. Now we have parents, we have grandparents that will come out on a Wednesday night to our services that will sit in our Bible study programs, our discipleship that I'm, I'm teaching. Right now we're teaching on um, the 40-day the prayer, the circle prayer, Pastor Mark Batterson. Uh, we're teaching on that. I have more and more parents coming out now because there's something their kids won't stop talking about wanting to get to church on Wednesday night. See, now the balance has switched. And we offer something for all of them, even to the point now where we're looking at bringing electives in on Wednesday night services so that it's not just the pastor up there. I'm trying to teach our people through discipleship. Anybody can stand here and teach if you have the heart and the call and something God's given you. So now we're looking to break it down on Wednesday nights for the parents and the grandparents that we have different elective classes that are focusing on specific issues today at hand that they can talk about. And there's always a start date and an end date. But our rural rangers and our, our girls' ministries clubs, they're flourishing to the point we're running out of space. So I say all that to say this to you today. I am passionate about young people. When I say young people, I'm talking about anybody younger than me, but I'm talking about that youth group age all the way down to the nursery. I'm passionate about our young people for the very reason I said, without them, we go extinct in one generation. They're not, there's nothing to be afraid of with talking to them. Our young people need boundaries. Statistically, we know and realize that one out of every two kids, and, and if it's possible to even break that down even smaller, I don't know how, but one out of two kids in your church today come from a divorced home or a split home. It's a fact. It's the way that it is. Most of these kids today don't have a normal home life. They don't have a mom and a dad together. They may have a man in the house that's not their biological dad. They may have a mom, but they never see her because she's working two or three jobs just to try to support the family. They come home, they're latchkey kids. They take care of each other. You've got 10-year-old sisters raising their 4-year-old sister. It's the society that we're in. We don't have to look at that and say, well, there's no chance, there's no hope, there's no way we can reach them. They don't want to know about this stuff. Teenagers especially need boundaries. They love boundaries because they know how far they can go and how hard they can push. 
you tell a teenager, here's the line, don't cross it. They say, where? Because they want to know where that boundary's at. It gives them a sense. What they're really looking for today, even though they don't act like it, they're looking for love and acceptance. They want to know that you care. They may say, I don't care, get out of my face, but they want to know. They really do. And they need to know. Well, part of the problem I see in our churches, and this is what's happened, and, and this is my observation in the last 25 years. There's nothing wrong with wanting to grow. There's nothing wrong with needing the, having the need to reinvent. There's nothing wrong with trying to be real and relevant and relational. I know as generations change, there's some things that change a little more loose with it. I'm not standing up here talking to you this morning in a three-piece polyester suit now. 30 years ago, that might have been different. You follow what I'm saying? But one thing that's happened in the church today is we, we got into a mindset that it's one or nothing. We don't allow choices. We don't allow for things. I'm not, we do need to be, be relevant over time. Some things have to change. Living things grow and growing things change. Okay, that happens. But we need to be careful on being so quick to grab a hold of the latest fad, the latest book, the latest trend, um, all these things that are out there because we're looking for a shot in the arm, a boost in the arm, uh, 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 an energy rush that we can challenge people and say, go. And all of a sudden, overnight, it's just going to explode and you're going to see this. Churches that we look at today and say, that's a solid church or that's a solid church. Why do we call them solid churches? Because they're effective in most of their ministries, right? They accomplish their goals and tasks. And we say and we aspire, we want to be like that. That's what we consider success. We're being effective in what we're doing with our teachers. Every church spends money investing into something. At some point, trying to grow, trying to increase, trying to disciple. But the greatest investment that we can make in our churches to see them grow is in our youth and children's ministries. And the greatest ministries that are there are our rangers and girls clubs. That's the greatest discipleship tool that was there. It, it's come through a lot of changes, some good, some bad, but it's trying to balance itself out. But you can never deny the program and the heartbeat behind it. We know that Commander Johnny Barnes had a dream and had a vision. The emblem we wear on our sleeves, the Royal Ranger logo itself, was something that he saw in a dream and a vision that God showed him how to raise our young men. I'm going to give you some statistics today, and some of these statistics are straight from the national office, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you personally how to take what you have, if you already have it, or to take what you don't have and how to start it. But I, I promise you this one thing. If you think you can, you can. And if you think you can't, you're right. It's worth the investment. One young person at a time. We know that in the culture today that there's changes, there's powerful influences pulling at the heart of your young people, pulling at the heart of your children. It's called the cradle to the grave. You have Nickelodeon all the way to Nick Jr. to Nick Sr. I don't know what you want to call it. But they have an investment of billions of dollars to have your kid from the cradle to the grave. To influence their minds with everything. You don't have to go out in the world today to find what's going on in the world. You can look in your, in your churches and look in the influence of your young people. They're being pounded on by these influences. The media, they've all created this thing and it's difficult for our kids. Even pastor's kids have some of the greatest struggles where they can grow up and, and, and have Bible study in the house. And yet they're wrestling with these things. We need to learn to train and disciple our young people and invest our time and energy in there. And we'll get into more of the nuances of that in a minute. Dr. Dobson in the statistics um, gave this Information out that um, as compared to girls, boys are six times more likely to have learning disabilities. Okay? This is out of Emerge Ministries. So this is worth its weight in gold. Boys are three times more likely to be registered drug addicts. Boys are four times more likely to be diagnosed as emotionally disturbed. We see this today in the news 
more so relevant even in Parkland High School here recently down in Parkland, Florida. They're 12 times more likely to commit murder and five times more likely to commit suicide than girls. That's just using statistics. So watch this. Boys make up 90% of those in drug treatment centers and 95% of minors involved in juvenile court. That's alarming because we have a fatherless generation that doesn't have anybody helping them and leading them. We looked at our churches and said, how can we be involved and what can we do to increase in discipleship with our young people? And we have a program that's already there. It takes creativity and it takes investment. And I'm going to get to that in one moment here and show you. But why Rangers is so important is because it does work. It's already there. There is a sense of pride. There is a sense of achievement, but there's a sense of brotherhood and a sense of unity. It doesn't end when they graduate from one program to the next. Royal Rangers is simply about mentoring young men to become men that turn around and mentor young men. And it goes on and on and on. The greatest saying that ever, I always give it the credit to Johnny Barnes himself, but never has a man stood so tall than when he's knelt with a boy to pray. You see, it's a commitment that we have to make. I know some churches will say, oh, Rangers camping, we're not interested. It's more than camping. Camping is a hook that draws these guys out. I think some of the greatest things we can do for our young men and ladies today is get them away from this and get them back to the outdoors. But there's so much more to the program than just camping. So much more to the program than camping. There's life skills that some of these young men and some of these young ladies, they won't get anywhere else. They don't even get it at home, but they get that encouragement. We got some young girls in our church now that just because my wife shows them love and caring and gives them a hug, they come racing into the church a half hour early and they're her shadow. They follow her around the, the campus the whole time because that's where they found love. You follow what I'm saying? We don't need more books and more programs. We need more commitment and more dedication and more investment. Now, why this is so important, again, I'll say this, because when you win the hearts of the children, the parents will follow. The grandparents will follow. We see this happening on a weekly basis. We've had people stop by our church on a Wednesday night because during their free time, the girls were out on the playground in the, in the front of the church playing. And we had parents stop by and say, our girls, every week we drive by, we see these kids playing out in the playground and they want to know what's going on and can they come and play? Well, now they're part of our girls' ministry program. It's just being real, being relevant, and being relational. Um, Rural Rangers program provides effective means of discipling boys by utilizing direct personal relationships between men and boys, developed around a core of shared beliefs and investments that we make. Now, um, the author David Murrow in Why Men Hate Going to Church says that men and boys are changed by what they experience, not necessarily by what they're told. That's how we're programmed. Okay. However, side-by-side activities alone won't bring about the transformation of boys into godly manhood. It requires the direct personal involvement of godly men. Robert Lewis, the author of Raising a Modern Day Knight, great book to read. He writes that boys become men in the community of men. And John Eldridge writes in the book called Wild at Heart, masculinity is bestowed. We have a thing that we've, we brought in our church in Florida, uh, Retired Lieutenant Colonel Chuck Stecker um, called a chosen generation out of Colorado. You might have heard of him, whatever. He, he has this ministry. He travels and, and, and will teach and preach on it. But it's called uh, Men of Honor, Women of Virtue. We will bring our young people through a rite of passage. We have people in our church, adults, maybe you hear that you've never truly received your father's blessing. It's biblical. 
and we'll bring grown men to their knees at the altar and speak blessing over them biblically and watch them move to tears and compassion because they've never had that. But they in turn turn around and bless their sons or their grandsons or their nephews. We call them out of darkness into light, out of their childish ways into adulthood. In the Jewish custom, at the age of 12, the age that they could procreate, they were adults and treated as such. And the greatest thing about the Rangers and Girls Ministries programs is we don't wait until they're 18 and say, okay, now you can go serve the church. We're teaching them now to be leaders. And not are you going to serve, but where are you going to serve? And we have these young men and these young ladies that are being involved, serving maybe once a month, helping with the ushers, maybe holding the door or greeting or setting up the fellowship hall or taking out the garbage or whatever it may be. We're giving them ownership, something that when they turn 18 and they graduate from high school, they don't say, see you later, church, we're out of here. We lose so many young people, so many young people from our churches. In the assemblies of God alone, the statistic is roughly 80% of our young adults when they graduate from high school will not go back to church until they're around the age of 40. They go to college, they go to careers, and whatever happens, church becomes irrelevant to them. We've got to change that trend. We've got to keep them invest in them and show them the program with rangers and missionettes that we like so much about that is it allows the church to fulfill its mission to make disciples of all nations by making them disciples makers right now and it invests in them it gives them those essentials that they need seeing it played out and role modeled out in front of them through godly men and godly women now what i'd like to do is um just share with you a couple quick things. And then um, my wife's going to share a couple things in regards to the girls ministry. And then we're going to open up to questions. This is kind of like trying to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. I know. <laughs> but if I can do anything, for, if it's one person that walks out of this room and goes on the website or goes and calls the district commander or their sectional commander and takes the next step from there, I promise you this one thing. You will not be disappointed. We've made the investment in two churches now that almost had nothing, and we are reaping that. We're reaping new families. We're seeing the growth. We're seeing our attendance uh, go up. And even better than that, we're seeing lives changed for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not a bean counter, but if I'm a farmer and I'm planting corn and I'm harvesting three years of corn a year, I got to scratch my head and say, what's going on here? You put too much time, energy, effort into that. You want to harvest more than three years of corn, right? But we look and see the success of these ministries that are tried and proven. But it takes commitment. So here's what I want to share with you real quick. Uh, And this is from our national page, but I'm going to personalize it. Learn. Number one, learn. Learn about the program. If you don't know, you don't know. You have to learn about it. We say, well, you know, I'm not sure if we have men in our church like this or like that. I guarantee you, you do. They don't know. We have to make an investment with them. Learn about it. Talk to your pastor. Include your pastor. Say, I'm looking at something that may change the whole dynamic of this church. And it's investing in our young people. It's the greatest discipleship tool the Assemblies of God has ever come out with. I guarantee you. Is our Rangers and Missionettes. I promise you that. Why do I know that? Let me tell you a quick story. I grew up in Warren, Ohio, Outpost 2. If you know the name, Ollie Dolaba was our pastor. He was involved on the national staff. Rangers was a priority it was invested into. We had a huge outpost. We had dedicated men. We had ladies that were cutting edge at the time that were in their commandery. My mom and my dad were commanders of the Straight Arrows with Dave and Irma Snyder. And, and we would we had role models in front of us of young men that were older that were inspiring us to want to do more everywhere we went people would see us in uniform and say royal rangers what are you guys canadian special forces or something they didn't know but there was investments that were made and we we were asked to do memorial day parades and we were asked to go put flags on the graves of the soldiers and we were asked to do a lot of things that people begin to see that our church in warren grew because of our rangers and missionettes program well over a thousand people 
because of the investment that was made in it. When I was probably four or five years old, around 1975, 1976, we started attending Warren First Assembly of God when it was in the main building before they built the, the, the new um, part of the sanctuary. And I remember I was terrified being in this big, long building because they had my dad up at the front inside of a tank and they were going to hold him underwater. And I was freaking out because I'm thinking they're going to drown my dad. I remember my dad, a couple weeks before that time happened, he was packing up a sleeping bag and a backpack. And he was getting ready to go camping. And I wanted to go camping. I'd never been before, but it sounded cool. And I'm begging him. My dad was invited by a few men from Outpost 2 in Warren to go camping with them as they took a group of boys. My dad went out with these men went camping with them, and their sole purpose, Denny Webb was the main guy, their sole purpose was to win my dad for Christ. They used a program in camping. They went out, my dad, my mom grew up in the AG, but she was a missionary to my dad. My dad got saved at that powwow at Falling Rock. Came back home, gave up smoking his pipe, everything changed. We started going to church as a family, and the next thing you know, I'm in straight arrows with a little vest with fringes on it, like that. I watched the program save my dad and my mom, and who knows, saved the marriage, but then we had three brothers that are pretty successful now. All three of us were gold medal of achievement earners in our outpost, and I accredit Rangers for everything. That's why I'm passionate about it. I grew up in rural Rangers myself. Even through the thick and thin, the highs and lows of being a teenage boy, that we had godly men around us, that I stuck it out and earned my GMA. This past year in March, we got to pin my oldest son with his GMA. You see, there is power in that. It's work. It's a lot of effort. It takes a lot of commitment. But it's worth it because the leadership and the skills and the investment are there. Now, I've seen rural rangers change the lives of men and boys. Again, I was spoiled. I came from outpost too. I had a lot of good men. Pastor Dolobus, Sonny Green, Dave Ryan, Norm Spencer. I had all these guys that they, um, they made a major impact in our lives. I can look at our outpost now and I can see a number of men that are in the ministry because of rural rangers. I see a number of men on the mission field because of Rural Rangers. I see a number of my friends that are are still or retired military. I know two of right now that I can't say because I'm being recorded, but they are active in training special forces in survival. And they said, Eric, you want to know something? It's nothing more than we learned when we were in Rangers. Oh, they were gold medal recipients also. Rangers is so important. You have to learn. You have to enlist. Become contagious. Talk to people about it. You're investing in your church. You're not investing in the future. You're investing in now. Right now. Uh, equip. Conduct a, a meeting. Um, get a hold of a couple guys, a couple of the, of the moms maybe that might be interested. And just uh, and share a little bit about it and, and, and get... Um, an idea of who's interested. Begin to plan, define the mission. Ask your pastor if you don't know. What's the mission of the church? What do you want to do? Rangers is pretty simple. Reach, teach, and keep boys for Christ. That's a simple mission statement. My eight-year-old can tell you what the mission statement is for Royal Rangers. And that's why it exists. It really, there's no pixie dust through this. It involves men and women Caring enough to make that investment. Begin to plan. Begin to look at your resources. One of the things that the Assemblies has done well with these programs is they have a plethora of information. Now, you can go online to the Ohio Rural Rangers website, or you can go on to the Assemblies of God National Rural Ranger website, and they're going to answer 99.9% of your questions and show you what you need. They've made it relevant and simple. Then you need to start uh, promoting You need to start encouraging people to promote what you have to offer. Then you look at the launching date. And then the biggest part of it is to maintain. Don't be frustrated. 
You're going to have graduation cycles. In the youth ministry, sometimes we would go in a season of having 100 plus teenagers in our youth ministry to the next year we'd be down around 40 or 50. Those cycles happen every four years. High school is 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. They do graduate. They got to go on, okay? Uh, They got to go to the university sometimes, but you're not letting them go. You're sending them out. You've made that discipleship time, but you have a fresh group behind them. You should always, always, always be growing that way. This is what's so great about Royal Rangers and about Girls Club Ministries is you don't have to keep reinventing. The material in the curriculum is there. The desire and the passion has to be there to say, I am going to go the next level. Now, I was a youth pastor for 21 years. I loved teenagers. We would always joke in the ministry that, you know, the difference between a youth pastor and a lead pastor is at least the youth would stab you in the front. (laughs) We loved teenagers. We just loved being with them and hanging out with them. But we did realize something was missing in, in some of the churches that we were in as we were putting all the emphasis into the youth ministry. And it just would be a glorified babysitting service. It would almost become, what have you done for me lately? You know, do you have the lights? Do you have the pyros? Do you have the show? Are we going on fun trips? Are we having ice cream socials? And it became a part where some churches that we even seen in our sections where we're at, that they were dying on the vine because there was nothing of substance there. But when we started to change that and go more into our discipleship time, at our church in Hubbard, what we allow for our people to do is we give the sanctuary in the, the building to our youth group on Sunday nights. We have Now, if you have a Sunday night service for adults, I'm not telling you to change that. I'm just telling you what works for us. We have electives that will happen on a Sunday night, periodically movies, discipleship training. I have parents coming out to drop people off at the church for youth group anyways. I got them there. I can teach them. But they have access to that. Wednesday nights are our discipleship night. And our discipleship revolves around loving, serving, or building. If it's not effectively hitting one of those three words, we just don't do it right now. On a Wednesday night service, they'll come in, and we have our Royal Rangers, and we have our Girls Club ministry, and then we have our adults to parents. That's what we have. Some of the kids will come in, and they're gung-ho with Rangers. They're gung-ho with the Girls Club. They jump in. We use the material and the curriculum. It's already there for you. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. It's there. You just got to have the passion for it and and study it. It really is simple. We've seen some of the meagerest, not even a word, the most meager of people say, I can't do anything. I'm so shy. And then a year later, they come back and they're, they're changed. And they said, these kids have changed me. They're passionate about it. They love the kids coming up and running up to them and they can't wait to see them. Their parents will say, that's all they talk about. Is it Wednesday night? Is it Wednesday night? Is it Wednesday night? Because we made the investment in that. It's worth it. It does cost a little bit of money to start with. But again, I go back to the, to the saying that we are always spending money at our churches doing something. Investing into something. This program is worth the investment to start with. Um, they start them up with Rangers Kids tracks, Discovery tracks. What they've done now is everything is digital online. You pay a one-time fee for that year for that group, and you go on and you can produce the worksheets. You don't have to buy bundles and bundles of things and three-ring binders of things. You you can produce the worksheets that you they can reproduce, they can take home, they can study, they can prepare, they can come out and, and teach it on a Wednesday night. You may say, Pastor Eric, we don't we only have ten people. The old-fashioned schoolroom from K through twelve. Bring them in together and then start to separate them. Go after some of the dads that are in there, some of the grandparents, retired veterans. Start putting that out there and discussing it with them. And I don't want to steal my wife's thunder, but it's not that we need you. It's that you have the privilege to teach this generation and show them that. Uh, our, our core principles... These are principles that are represented in the pledge, in the code, in the motto, the points of the emblem that we teach these young men every day. They're not just codes that they stand up on a Wednesday night and look at the flags and recite, but they're a way of life that we're teaching them. And 
now they take that as they go on in high school or they go on in college or they go on in their own families and they have that core value ingrained in them to be alert, to be clean, to be honest, to be courageous, to be loyal, to be courteous, obedient, to be spiritual. And they become godly men that will not leave their family but raise them up. And now they're making disciples. See how quickly we can change what the enemies tried to use for bad. God will use it for good. Um, I'm going to come back in a moment and finish up, but I'm going to ask my wife to take a couple moments and she's going to share just some practical things for you for the girls' ministry. I don't want to neglect that on the other side. Um, our missionettes, they are valuable. But also just her experience that she has. Um, I dream things up, but my wife makes them happen. <laughs> As you can tell, we're very passionate people. And like he said, he's the vision caster. And then I put boots on the ground and get it done. So um, I'm just going to talk very quickly, because I knew he was going to take most of the time, about recruiting and training, because that's what we all struggle with, right? Recruiting and training. First of all, I would like you to... Every single day, and I mean every single day, pray and ask God for wisdom, discernment, and creativity. That's what I've done since I was 15, and um, he has proven himself faithful. In Proverbs 16:21, it says, The wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. He's the one that stands from the pulpit and is the vision caster and, you know, gets everybody inspired and you know, gets going. Um, I'm the one that is doing all the nitty gritty. <laughs> I don't mean that in a negative way. First of all, like he already said, for recruiting, never, never, never stand from the pulpit with a tear in your eye saying, you know, these kids are driving me crazy, pulling your hair out and saying, we need help, we need your help. You know, we have 20 boys back there, 20 girls back there, and we only have two leaders, we need help. Because... Um, people will volunteer just because they see the tear in your eye and your desperation of cry, but they're not going to last long if, if they're just there to help you. They're not there investing themselves into the kids. So what you want to say is other words like, um, we have an opportunity to make a huge impact on those that you're serving. You know, it's an opportunity. Ministry is always an opportunity. And it's not just an opportunity for you to teach children or to teach other people, but it's really, God's going to work through you more than the kids. I mean, I, I've had almost every single leader I've ever put into children's ministry in some form, Rangers, girls, girls ministries, Sunday school, children's church, come back to me and say, I can't believe how much I've grown in the Lord. Just reading the lessons makes me dig into the Bible more and dig into research more so it's really, it really is an opportunity. It's not just that they're helping you. They are helping you, and they're helping the church. They're helping the children. But it really is an opportunity for them to grow as well. <clears throat> Always speak positive words anytime you're speaking about your ministry, whatever it is. Never say, oh, we just lost a, a leader, or, you know, we just had a family move, and they just took four kids. You know, that's all negative talk, and nobody wants to help in a ministry where the talk is negative. So always, always keep it positive, even in the midst of something negative. Um, you can say things like, "These there's kids in the ministry that are desperately crying out to be loved and guided and mentored. Will you be the one to answer that call? We're all called to the Titus 2 command to mentor the next generation under you. And uh, I think if we can challenge people in that, you know, it's already in the Bible. God's told us to do it. So are you willing to answer that call? That was number one uh, in recruiting. Number two is share your vision for the ministry and be passionate. As you saw how passionate my husband is, I am passionate about girls' ministry. If I could live girls' ministry seven days a week, I would. I love it. I just, I never grew up in the Assemblies of God. I did not grow up in girls' ministry. Um, 
But once we got involved in our first church, and I, they asked me to do girls' ministry, I was scared to death. I didn't know anything about it. But I just love it so much, and I, I'm just as passionate about girls' ministry as he is with Rangers. And I think that takes, that's also inspirational for other people when you're passionate about it and talking about it. Uh, number three, when you approach someone, ask them to pray about it. Uh, before you even approach someone, pray over those people and then ask them to pray about it. But make sure that their spouse is on board as well. You don't want someone to say, yes, I'll do it. Two weeks later, their spouse is angry at them and it causes a rift between them and then um, they quit. So make sure their spouse is on board as well. Uh, number four, be realistic when you tell people that you want to recruit what's involved in the ministry. Don't tell them that, you know, you just need to show up on Wednesday nights. You really do need to be realistic so that they can grasp the whole scope of what they're being asked to do. Um, Number five, tell them that you will train them and then do it. Training is has always been near and dear to my heart because when we first got started, when I first got started, I was the children's pastor in um, Venice, Florida, and that was not my ministry. That was not my calling. I did not go to college for that. (laughs) So I had to really train myself and go to all these conferences like this in Florida. We had great ones. Uh, And train myself. And then it was so exciting that I took it back to my church and trained trained the other leaders that I had under me. Um, As far as rangers go, I know they have like an intensive six-week training, I think, that you send your leaders to. Girls' ministry has something like that. I apologize. I've never sent anyone to that. (laughs) I've just done my own. Um, What I did personally is the initial training, when when someone does agree to do whatever ministry you're, you're talking about, initially train them right away. And then do ongoing training. And I know most of you probably all work. You don't have a lot of time to do, you know, research and put into it. So I did once every three to four months, I would do an evening of training, only a couple hours. And I made sure that everything was set up and prepared. So when the, all my teachers came in to the room, we had a table full of little thank yous. I made different thank yous each time with the little candies on. Have you seen those little thank yous? It says, you were mint to be here, and I'd stick a mint on it. You're a star teacher, and I'd put a um, starburst on it. They love those. It's small, and it's just a thank you. Everybody wants to be thanked and encouraged for what they're doing. So every three to four months, I had my training with those little thank yous on the table. And I also set up tables for... Now, I did children's ministry, so we, we do a lot of kids' things. So I set up tables with science experiments on it, object lessons, you know, different activities that they could get their hands in and do, and um, they loved it. They loved it. They couldn't wait till the, till the next one. I also sent out monthly newsletters with tips and encouragements. Sometimes it's hard to read an entire book and grasp all of it and put it all into practice or come to an event like this and take it all home, put it all into practice. So once a month, I just had a short newsletter with a tip, a reminder, uh, an announcement of some upcoming thing I was doing just to keep it on the forefront of their mind. I also, this is the last thing I did because I was a children's pastor, I had a parenting newsletter. A lot of the leaders in girls' ministry, rangers, children's church, were always struggling with discipline. What do we do with that one child that's out of control? So I started a parenting newsletter. It was just one tip for the parents to help them be a better parent, to help them with their child so when they come to our class, they can sit still. Um, Does anybody have any questions? Anything that we did not cover that you want to talk about? Yep.
So how many uh, of us here? Yes, sir. The commanders are, we would, you have a senior commander. The, the key thing for rangers to work is if you can have that one point man or a senior commander that is sold on the vision, you, you build one by reaching one at a time. So we would ask these guys, we would encourage them to reach out. So the commanders, they didn't necessarily always do like the candies and the things for those, but our senior commander would meet with his commanders they would invite him over for lunch or they would have a day where they would get away. They just, they would go to Bass Pro Shop or whatever sometimes just to get away from the four walls of the building and just spend time with them investing in them. Now, the whole reason and purpose for this, again, is our discipleship time. I mean, how many churches have Sunday school that's effective anymore? A lot of the churches and pastors, we're struggling with that. We're trying to figure out. What can we do to get that? We do it for discipleship, right? Because Sunday morning, it's, it's, you're preaching a message, you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching truth, you're, you're looking for response, you're looking for altar time and these things, but are you really connecting that and making that discipleship happen? That's what our Wednesday nights have kind of become, like a, a university-type setting. That's why our church is growing, and on Wednesday nights, we're almost running, almost running as much as we're running right now on Sunday mornings because people are really hungry. And when we're relative in meeting what they're seeking, being relevant with current topics and showing them the Bible, we're teaching them. And now they're going out and they're teaching people. But as they're coming in, these parents are coming in because they know their children or their grandchildren are being ministered to. And they're talking about it because we make it excitement. We make it exciting for them. Okay? It's a a simple discipleship model that's worth the investment in our churches. I can't say that there's anything magic about it other than when young men see godly men caring for them, it's changing them. When young women see godly women praying over them, it changes them. We're making that investment, not in the future, but in the now. And these young people are coming back out and they're bringing their parents. We got parents coming to our church that have never been in church before. They say, well, we come here because our dropping our son or our daughter off. We got people that are coming to church. I stand out in the hallway and greet them. They come in and take their people, to, um, their young people to the classrooms, and then they go back out because they're still a little antsy. You know what? In time. In time. If I'm fishing, and I'm up in Erie, and I'm doing steelhead fishing, I see the steelhead in the creek, and they'll run, and then they'll float back down. I know they're there. If I don't catch them on the first cast, I don't say, oh, man, they're, they're not biting. They'll bite. I got to present it and I got to be effective and I got to keep patience and keep going. It's the same with winning these parents to Jesus. Now I can just tell you what's worked for us and it's not a fly by night. It's something that's worked in the past for the past 20 years, wherever we've been, we've made this investment in this discipleship tool and we've seen our midweek services explode because of that. It's a commitment. It's an investment but it's an eternal reward that we cannot wait to see. Any questions from anybody in here? Question. Oh, go ahead. I did not do the candies for the um, rangers, but right now we have a lady who teaches uh, um, ranger kids, and she brings dessert sometimes, and our men love that. Love it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Learn, uh, is there, I mean, it's really discouraging. You see that, you know, friends grew up with, you in Ranger program. Right. Not, I mean, is there anything that we could do? I mean, I know it's above us and everything. I mean, right. I'm just wondering, you know, I've seen Rangers work so great. Sure, you're about to. Why, why are these churches? The greatest ally you're going to have for a successful midweek service is your pastor. If your pastor is on board with this program, it will succeed. Whatever your pastor usually is behind, that program will succeed. What you have to show is be prayerful, be mindful, 
be courteous. But pastors love to eat. <laughs> Invite them out to lunch or take them out to dinner and say, I just got something I want to share on my heart with you. And start that promotional process to where, you know, would you agree that young people, we need them in our church? Would you agree that we need more families? Pastors love families in church because it's a sign of life. When your nursery's full, that's encouraging. The farm system's being built, <laughs> okay? Now, to take the pastor, any pastor worth his weight is going to say, yeah, we want to grow. Yeah, we want to see families come. What happens sometimes is the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. We hire a youth pastor to come into our church. Well, we want him to do youth ministry stuff. And we look at rangers and we look at girls ministries and we don't associate that with youth. But it is. It is. But we have to be gentle. But we have to be precise. And we let them know that, look, some churches, they don't want to have an extra night. And you'll have that conflict. It's, it's either youth or rangers. Well, we want youth. We're going to throw rangers off the side. That's a church's decision. I don't agree with it. Life is full of choices and options, and we need to allow and teach our young people that it's okay to make a choice. I chose rural rangers because I love the outdoors and I love the camping. Now, when I turned 14, 15, 16 years old, the girls were in youth group. But at that point, my mom and dad were like, oh, no. You're finishing this, what you started. And I realized they'll be there later. And there's something that they liked about a guy in a uniform anyways. <laughs> but I would say to go to your pastor, take him out in a non-threatening way and say, God has put this on my heart. Would you allow me the opportunity to just meet with a couple men and a couple women in our church? And begin to speak with them and, and, and talk to them about what it's going to be. They may say, well, what's it going to cost us? And I mean, I would say cost is irrelevant, but it's not going to be a thousand dollar ministry right off the bat. I mean, for a hundred bucks or so, you can invest in some of the material that's there. The awards and the patches and that, that these kids earn. And they are important because they get to see what they're doing. You know, if I tell you, you know, you're here, you're going to get this, you're going to get this, you're going to get that. But you never see the fruits of your labor you're going to go somewhere else because you want to see what you did. It's We're all, that's born in us. So it is important to have those awards, but that's not the priority right now. It'll get there. We've seen as we've built in these things from nothing to putting a little bit of a budget together to where now in our church, we're watching our missions has, has quadrupled, our missions giving, our, our financial system. And our people will invest in what they see working. They want to do it, but if it's not working, they're not going to throw money at it. So I would say meet with your pastor first and share with him your heart and hunger. Um, let him know I'm not going to be a burden to the church with this. Just we'll disciple, we'll do this. Talk to a sectional commander that you have. Every section in our state has sectional commanders that you could speak with. Call the district office, talk to Harry, ask these guys um, what, what can we do um, maybe they can make a phone call to the church sometimes if you, if you have that persistent pushback to the program. That's where the commitment you mentioned is very, very important. If your pastor chooses that youth is supposed to be Wednesday, be flexible and say, right. if I do Rangers on Thursday, mm -hmm. or Sunday morning as a Sunday school program, there are, it's not just a Wednesday night service. It's your discipleship hour, so to say. Be flexible. I mean, it is different today. Uh, you can be flexible with that, but um, it's worth pursuing when you do that. Any other questions? Yeah, I want to say that what you're saying is right on. We, my wife and I just moved to Ohio. We've been here two years now. We moved to a little bitty town, Marietta. Mm -hmm. One aging church within an hour's drive, so it was either that one or some other church. And um, we talked to Pastor about Rangers, and uh, he said, I'm not a kid's kind of person. If you want to start it, I'm on board with you. So we started the rowing, we did the training, the equip, all the promoting, we did the, everything you're supposed to do. We started Rangers with one boy. In a year and a half now, we have 10 boys, and we also have a Wednesday night service that the pastor has started since parents got to be there anyway, 
Right. Stay, and now he's got a Wednesday night Bible study. Right. He's got ten boys now and two families attending the church because of loyalty. It's a tried and true program for discipleship. And that's where it's at. It's putting the rubber on the road and gaining traction with it. And I encourage any pastors in here, if you don't have it at your church, to just do a little peeking or find a man, uh, a husband and wife team or whatever in your church that may have that little bit of that, you know, they're the hunter, you know, they're the outdoorsman type, maybe a little bit. Those are key things to look for. Maybe go to them, take them out to lunch and say, hey, I've got an idea. I'm looking at um, reaching our young people in our church and, and put that idea in their head and give them some contacts. You can email me at Pastor Eric at covenantlifehubbard.org if you have any questions. And I'll, I'll try to pass you along. But if you get the hold of the district office and talk to Harry Hunt, um, he's going to put people into contact with you in your section where you're at right now. Um, again, it's not going to be an overnight. You open this program up and a thousand people are going to come to your church knocking the doors down. It takes dedication and commitment. But I'll tell you what, right now, when we plant our vegetable seeds around now, I have something to look forward to in August. I know the fruit's going to be there if I take the time and the diligence to tend it. So when you invest in these programs and ministries, you have something to look forward to. 